T-S-N-Y. Welcome to Small Ball Radio, an Elite Sports NY podcast. I'm your host, Danny Small, and today we're going to be talking about some East Division, I guess that's what we're calling it this year, East Division baseball stuff. I have uh, my ESNY colleague, Kyle Newman, here to talk Mets with us. Kyle, how are we doing? Doing good. Can't wait for baseball. Yeah, I hear that. And then, uh, of course, I have our uh, crossing broad there, Phillies writer Bob Wenkel, who Crossing Broad, not sure if anyone listening knows, but we're under the same parent company, ESNY and CB now. Um, so we figured we'd bring in Bob to get kind of a, uh, a view of a team outside of New York kind of going into the season. So, Bob, how are we doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, happy to talk to you guys. Happy to finally talk about some sports, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, felt like, I mean, what was it, four or five months there where, I mean, for us, you know, writers and, and podcasters and whatnot – not easy to come up with stuff to talk about and write about. It's nice to finally have uh, some stuff here. And I guess we'll start with you, Bob, because actually the Yankees, who my team, who all kind of – I'll be breaking them down for, for us today. Um, but the Yankees and Phillies actually playing in an exhibition game today. Um, so we'll kind of start with you and get the New Yorkers up to speed a little bit on what's going on at Phillies camp um, and, you know, how they're looking. Because obviously Joe Girardi, um, Didi Gregorius, there's a lot of Yankees connections there. Um, so how's camp been going so far? Uh, so far, so good. I think coming in that the biggest concern for, for every team across every camp is just what are the health protocols going to look like? What are the safety protocols going to look like? And are they going to hold up? And uh, at least on the Phillies end, players seem like they're relatively comfortable with what's going on. They're, they seem to be relatively comfortable with the process. And to this point, there have not really been any issues since the players have been in camp. So you know, that's really the headline story, and I think that we tend to overlook that. We spent so much time leading up to the season talking about what, you know, can they pull this off? And, and really, it's kind of great, uh, at least to this point, that we haven't had to focus on that once things got started. From a, a baseball perspective, you know, this season, the Phillies, it could go a, a variety of ways. I think that the 60-game schedule helps them specifically. I just don't believe that they have the depth uh, to really compete over a 162-game schedule, but... They have some dangerous pieces in the lineup. Uh, I think at one, two between Nolan and Zach Wheeler, I think that there's a, a good base there at the top of the rotation. Uh, some questions in the bullpen, but they've had guys that have, have sort of been, you know, these players were like, I really need to see it from this guy this year. And, and they've had a few of those guys at camp play, play pretty well, you know, for as much stock as you want to put into 14 days in an empty ballpark uh, at home playing against yourselves. You know, I, I would say overall that it has been an encouraging two weeks for the Phillies. Yeah, I think um, just kind of touching on your first point there about kind of the uh, the stuff going on with coronavirus and everything. I think obviously there's a lot of tension and there, I think there still is people, you know, not sure what's going to happen. But so far, I mean, I don't have the percentage off the top of my head, but so far in terms of positive tests, things like that, so far so good. I mean, obviously knock on wood that that kind of continues. Um, but, you know, maybe when the travel and all that stuff kicks up, maybe we'll see something. But for now, I think, you know, we can't really ask for much more in terms of how MLBs kind of uh, handle the safety and the protocols like that. 
Yeah, and from my point of view, uh, I've been down there. Uh, you know, we have access. We're fortunate in that regard. And the first day that I went down was the first day of camp. And I believe that was July 3rd. And, uh, you know, for, for the most part, for the past three months, for the better part of the past three months, I've kind of been holed up at home and, and have taken this pretty seriously. And, you know, we had to make a decision. And, and Crossing Broad and, and Kyle, who runs our site, uh, was, you know, pretty – I would say agreeable. He just said, you know, do what you want to do, do what you're comfortable with. And we were fortunate in that regard that I wasn't forced to go down there. But um, to be honest with you, the, the hesitation that I had was pretty much immediately relieved. Phillies did a great job specifically uh, really making sure that it was a safe process for everybody. Temperature scans on the way in, distancing more than six feet, keeping people uh, separated in the press box, kind of limiting the amount of access people have had. Um, and it's, it's been a relatively smooth process. So from the aspect of the coverage and the media side of things, it's, it's gone about as well as I could expect it to from, from that standpoint as well. You said it, and I, think, and, and I think both of you could speak to this, the real question is going to be, what happens once these teams are hopping on planes? And we can talk about how they are keeping everything in the East between the AL and the NL, and that's wonderful, but that's still going to uh, you know, require trips to Miami, still going to require uh, trips to Tampa Bay, and, you know, wherever the hell the Blue Jays end up. Yeah, who knows? So. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously some still, still some questions there. Uh, I, the Blue Jays, that's a good one, uh, you know, at least in the East here. You know, Buffalo, I guess, is probably the most likely destination for them. Um, but again, you know, Miami, you know, you, you got some hotbeds you're going to have to travel to. So, like I said before, like knock on wood, hopefully these, you know, the, uh, the positive tests stay down, you know, they can keep playing because uh, I'm a little skeptical, but. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to hammer anybody too hard right now until things actually happen. Um, so I guess moving on a little bit, uh, Kyle, we'll get you jumping in here now. Uh, so far, I know you've been watching the Mets every day. You've been covering them, you know, keeping close tabs on them. So far, what's, uh, what's like your biggest takeaway out of camp? Um, how are the Mets looking? I know I've, I've watched them, you know, the last couple of nights playing the Yankees, but I don't think we can judge them too much on just kind of two exhibition games. I think that would be unfair. I think the Mets are kind of in a similar situation to what the Phillies are. Like, as Bob said, there's not a lot of depth here. So the Mets have all – they're already down three players. Like, Noah Syndergaard has Tommy John. He's already out for the year. Uh, Jared Hughes, who they just signed uh, in free agency right before camp, he's on the 10-day uh, IL. We have no re no idea why, which can kind of probably point us to, to, uh, to a COVID diagnosis, even though the team hasn't said anything. And the same with Brad Brock. So, we're, so you know, a starting pitcher and two key relievers are, all, are already gone. And we don't really have a way to replace them. I mean, Michael, Michael Waka is kind of being inserted into the lineup, but he struggled the past couple of years. And if anyone, God forbid, goes down again, like we just had an injury scare with Jacob deGrom with his back. If anyone were to go down, we don't really have another player to step up. The next one would probably be David Peterson, who is uh, the closest Mets pitching mm -hmm. prospect at this point. He hasn't played in AAA yet. So he, he only has experience in AA. And he's, his ERA hasn't been really great in the minor leagues. He's been... He's a heavy ground ball pitcher. He's, had, he's got a great fifth. Uh, the defense behind him, it really, really matters. And that's a big issue with the Mets. You know, as we just saw the last couple of nights, we had errors from Max Moroff, Robinson Cano, Ahmed Rosario is one of the worst uh, defensive shortstops, so he seems to be getting a little bit better. Pete Alonso has put in a lot of work to get better at first base, but he's still the worst defensive first baseman in baseball. Uh, 
and now we have news about Wilson Ramos, who uh, mm. left camp a few days ago, and he and they're not giving any information. So without Wilson Ramos, who's one of the best offensive catchers in baseball, we have no idea what that's going to look like. If he is replaced by someone like Tom uh, Tomas Nito, like that's a huge boost defensively. But Nito is a huge liability offensively. Having his lineup and having his bat in the lineup every day is basically akin to just sending up sending up a pitcher most days, especially with the Mets who have one of the best uh, hitting pitchers in baseball. But from like from a thing I'm excited for standpoint, obviously Yoana Cespedes, mm. uh, the bat in camp has looked absolutely phenomenal. He has uh, been destroying Mets pitching though. You didn't get to see that the last couple of days against the Yankees. He kind of looked the uh, kind of looked like he was struggling. The, the book still seems to be the same on Cespedes. If you, if you throw the fastball up, you have, you have a pretty good chance with him. But if you try and throw him a breaking ball, then he, he's going he's gonna to crush it. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see Pete Alonzo out there again, Jeff McNeil. Uh, but I, I, I'm concerned about Robinson Cano, especially hitting third. Yeah, that I didn't feel like it's going to be a consistent I, Yeah, I, I had no idea what that was, hitting him third. It makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't, and especially because they, that puts Brandon Nimmo down at the bottom of the lineup. He was hitting eighth last night, which makes no sense to me. He he had an on-base percentage of over 375 both in the last three years. And the last year after coming back from a, from a back injury, the second half of the year, his on-base percentage was up towards 500. Like, ha, ha, I don't understand how you're going to bat him at the bottom of the lineup there, especially with his speed. So it, it's, it's a lot of things in play where I'm kind of concerned about depth and Luis Rojas as a manager, how he's going to deal with everything, uh, especially with the new lineup and bullpen in such a shortened season. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot Kyle, of big Kyle, question marks. Let me ask you a, a little bit about Pete Alonso. Obviously, he has the year that he did uh, last year and basically an unprecedented year in a lot of ways. Um, and, I, and by no means am I making a comparison between Reese Hoskins and, and Pete Alonso. But Reese Hoskins was a guy that when he first came onto the scene, he just had a, just a tremendous first two months. And he really came back even that first full season and was a very good offensive player. And there has just been a complete regression on his end. Is there any concern whatsoever that – and I don't want to use the word fluke, but do you think that there's room for him to continue to grow as a hitter? Do you think that it would be unrealistic to ask for more than what Pete Alonso produced last season? And is there any fear whatsoever about a regression with him? Well, I definitely have fears about regression and stuff like that because when I look at Pete Alonso, the player who immediately comes to mind is Cody Bellinger. So Cody Bellinger had an absolutely phenomenal rookie season. And then that second year, there was, a, there was a pretty huge regression. People were almost like, oh, this dude was a bust or whatever. And then he comes back year three, obviously, mm-hmm. wins the MVP award. And he, he is who he is. But when I look at Pete Alonso, I saw he wasn't, he wasn't really doing all that well in, in spring training, which, you know, you know that happens to, to, to veterans and everybody when they're coming back, uh, especially when they weren't really allowed to work in the offseason with COVID and everything. And then he comes back in, in training camp, and the offense still isn't like – you know, where you're kind of expecting it to be, though he is, like, getting a little bit better. And then you look the last couple of days, and, you know, he had a few hits against the Yankees, but then, like, last night he had, like, three strikeouts. And that's, that's a pretty big, big concern for me, that I don't think Alonzo is ever going to regress to the point where he's not, like, an all-star caliber player. But I am concerned that you look at his rookie year and 53 home runs and he hits 260, and you're, you're not, you might never get that player again. But – if you do, I do think there is enough room to grow from a contact perspective. So I think he's a better hitter than he showed. 
I don't think everything about Alonzo revolves around power. Maybe he, he stabilizes around 40 home runs a year, but he ends up a 280 hitter and he starts walking more and striking out less. And he ends up with an OBP around 350 every year. And if you get that kind of a player, I think that player is more valuable than the dude who hits 263, 20, and 50 home runs. I think a good uh, kind of comparison, and these guys are going to get compared for the rest of their careers, but Judge and uh, Alonzo, because Judge – I mean, his best year was that rookie year where, you know, he came in second in MVP. Uh, obviously for him, the injuries have kind of taken him down a little bit too. But even so, you know, his 2018 and 2019 were not near as good as his rookie year. And it's not like Judge isn't one of the, you know, the better hitters of baseball and a bona fide all-star when he's healthy. But, like, I think it's unfair to kind of put those same expectations. Like, I remember people saying, like, oh, Judge is going to hit 60 home runs next year. And it's like – I mean, you got to look at it as like, this is, you know, an incredible, incredible season, MVP caliber type season. It's not, it's not a, a lot of guys who can do that year in and year out. I mean, obviously you have the Mike Trouts and, you know, guys like that. Um, but especially for these young guys, you have to expect a little bit of a regression. One of my things with when you look at like Alonzo and Hoskins versus a guy like Judge is that Alonzo and Hoskins are – arguably like two of the worst defensive first basemen in baseball like they're they're, they're really bad That's, yeah you're not, you're not gonna get an argument here on that so <laughs> and judge on the other hand is you know like potentially gold glove caliber right fielder so if mm. his offense regresses a little bit he still has enough defensive value that he can still be one of the best you know off uh, players in baseball if Alonzo or Hoskins stop hitting home runs one day then their value is basically gone so like it's it, it's an interesting dynamic because and this happens with a lot of first basemen, where where it it's it's such uh it's such a power and offense reliant mm. position that uh if if you're not getting that if you do see any sort of regression then that player immediately becomes like less valuable like Alonzo's huge year he was still worth like four and a half five WAR depending on the site. Uh, Judge was worth like three WAR in like ninety games last year, mm -hmm. and he was he was hitting way worse than Alonzo just because his defense is that much better. So it's his, yeah, his his B WAR that uh, that rookie year. I don't have it in front of me, but was, it was like eight or something. Yeah, it was, I mean he was just behind Altuve, but still it was like a ridiculous number. Um, but yeah, I I think Judge. The one thing that worries me with his defense is like he has an incredible arm really athletic can move but the injuries are, are just something that that are always going to worry me because that big body when he goes he dives you know he runs into the wall things like that I always cringe watching that um but I mean again hopefully you know he looks healthy so far so and I, I guess just kind of moving on to the Yankees a little bit I think really that's the key for the Yankees I mean they have a, they have power up and down the lineup you know depth with you know you're gonna have Andujar coming off the bench you got a guy like Tyler Wade who's a decent fielder kind of like a a pinch runner type even um and then the outfield I mean you have Clint Frazier Talkman probably aren't even going to be starters from day one uh but they could be on a ton of other teams so the Yankees it's just about kind of and this has been the, the same thing for the last two or three years just staying healthy uh especially I think now they have Garrett Cole they have the power pitcher the the true number one I think him staying healthy is obviously the biggest thing uh but I mean the Yankees kind of right now look like they're in a good spot I mean hopefully you would think from their perspective you would think that the 60 game season would help them because even though it's a shorter sprint you know you don't have those like those long kind of injuries that linger and get worse and worse I think that's something that's plagued Judge Stanton 
uh, even Gary Sanchez at times. So I think the 60-game season could actually end up working in the Yankees' favor. But at the same time, on the flip side, not having that 162 games leaves open the opportunity for like a, a, the Rays or even the Red Sox, which I don't think anyone's too worried about the Red Sox now. But at 60 games, anything can happen. One week-long, week-and-a-half-long slump, and things are just completely changed. Do you view the Rays as the primary contender or the primary roadblock in the AL East to the yeah. Yankees this season? Yeah, definitely. Because I, I do. I think the Red Sox just – I think they, they lost too much giving up Betts. I mean, he, he really – I mean, as great as J.D. Martinez is, I think Betts was kind of the engine of that team for the last few years. Uh, I think losing him is going to be big for, for the Sox. And then I think they're pitching. They, they have some injury questions there. Uh, you know, not, not that the rotation was anything like, you know, above and beyond anyone else before that. So I think the Rays are definitely, to me, probably the number one contender. And I, I honestly, I, I still think the Yankees are going to win the division because they just they have, they have more talent. But I would not be shocked at all if the Rays came in and took the division. And I know, Kyle, I know you, you are a big, uh, big, big believer in the Rays. Yeah, I, I think the Rays – so a little bit, bit of backstory here. So when the Mets were hiring their new general manager a couple of years mm, ago, yeah. uh, it, came, it came down to Brody Van Wagenen, who is the current general manager, and uh, Rays uh, uh, assistant GM, Chaim Bloom, who is now the uh, president of baseball operations up in Boston. Uh, I was a huge proponent for, uh, for Chaim Bloom. Uh, he is just a phenomenal with the analytics and everything. The Rays do analytics uh, probably better than any other team in baseball. Maybe the Astros are up there. Uh, maybe the athletics. The, Ray, the Rays get it. And in a short season where they're pitching with like Snell and, and, and Morton uh, mm. and like when, when they get them for, for, for full seasons and they get to put that incredible bullpen to use, like if, if they, I'm use, they team, use the bullpen well too like they they know how to use it they were they were the they were correct me if I'm wrong but they were the first team to start doing the opener a couple of years ago right well actually they pioneered the opener way before that Lou Pinella pioneered the opener and way oh, back yeah. in the 90s. he did it way back in the 90s and then it kind of went away and then they and then Kevin Cash and the, <laughs> and the Rays kind of brought it back a couple of years ago but yeah they 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 know how to use their pitching so effectively that I think in a 60 game season where using every player and every pitcher in the right situation and like just they 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 know how to do it like they they have the perfect understanding of how to put their players in a position to succeed that it wouldn't surprise me to see them go on like a big stretch of wins where they just distance themselves uh, enough that they could overtake a team like the Yankees especially when they get so many games against the Orioles mm -hmm. Blue Jays and, and the, the Marlins uh, so it would not surprise me if the Rays uh, went, went on a little bit of a run uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Blue Jays came out of nowhere with with, with all their young talent. Uh, though I, I think they're they're a little they're a year or two away because I still don't trust the pitching and I still don't trust the offense to explode the way it can yet. Especially when you have a first round rookie who's probably going to be the starting third baseman on opening day with Austin Martin, which is going to be interesting. It'll be the first time in Major League Baseball history I think that that's happened that a first round pick is going to be a day one starter. So. They're certainly going to be one of the more fun teams they're, to watch. Yeah, they're they kind of I mean not in the sense that like the that the similar to the Rays, but like the Blue Jays to me are kind of like a a sneaky team like that because like you said, a lot of young talent there, and you know they're probably a year or two away. But a it's, 60 it's hard game to season, look at know. them. It's hard to look at them 
and, and the pitching and say like there's enough there but i just think from mm-hmm. like a pure offensive you know pure offensive potential they could make it weird you know their young group of kids saying hey mm-hmm. we have this opportunity here short season i keep talking about how the, the condensed season invites the opportunity for parity and to, to that point the phillies were a, a playoff team at the end of 60 games mm-hmm. in both 2018 and 2019 and they looked nothing like a playoff team by the end of each of those seasons and so that's the only thing that kind of makes me go, hey, the Blue Jays are an intriguing team. The, the thing I can't get my head around, and, and Danny, you probably can sleep well at night knowing that the Yankees are just the best team in that division, and sure, some weird things can happen, but they look like they're destined for the playoffs. Kyle, I think that you're probably in the same boat with me. If you squint hard enough and you look at the Mets from a certain angle the way that I can look at the Phillies from a certain angle, you can see them being a playoff team. And really, you know, hey, odds makers like the Mets more than they like the Phillies right now. When they released the NL East odds, one of the things that I was kind of blown away by, especially after the Syndergaard injury, was that they were still ahead of the Phillies in terms of odds to win the NL East. But when I look at both the Mets and Phillies, I say there's a lot there. They have a lot of good parts. I look at the Phillies lineup, and I've watched Didi Gregorius swing the bat the way that he has this season. He looks like he's fully healthy now. I, I see Bryce Harper, who looks locked in. He looks a lot different than the player that he was at the beginning of last season. He looks much more comfortable, much more like the player that went out hot the end of 2019. And, like, I can talk myself into the Phillies kind of making things weird and finding themselves in position to make the postseason. But then I step back and I look at the, the schedule and who they have to play and how these teams are going to beat up with, on each other, not only in the NL East, but then you have to cross over and you have to deal with the Yankees and you have to deal with the Rays and the Blue Jays. And we can all say that the Red Sox are going to take a step back this year, sure. But going up the Fenway and winning, it, it's, that's in and of itself a difficult task, no, no matter what type of team that they're fielding. So that's where I struggle in saying I feel really good about this Phillies team. And, and even when I look at the Mets, I kind of feel the same way. Like, damn, that's a big hill to climb given the schedule. Yeah, when, I, when I look at the Mets, I see, all right, which team are you going to be? Are you going to be the Mets who year in and year out go out in the first half you know, kind of show something the first month of the year and then die out mm-hmm. before putting together these amazing second halves. I think they have a better second half record in like seven of their last eight seasons. Or are they going to be that team from the second half, especially the team from the second half of 2019 that was tied for the best record in the National League with the Dodgers, winning 38 games? Uh, so like, w- which team am I going to see? Am I going to see first half Mets or am I going to see summer Mets? And, you know, it's an internal struggle. And that, that's kind of where it is with the Mets the whole way, you know. Which bullpen am I going to see? Am I going to see? Yeah, how do you feel about Edwin Diaz right now? I mean, what do you feel about him? How do you feel about Dylan Batances? Like, because if, if those two guys are what they're supposed to be and pitch to their ceiling, then it's going to be tough to beat them after the seventh inning. And it may be tough to beat them before the seventh inning, too, because that rotation, even San Syndergaard, is still pretty damn good. I don't think the Mets have the best rotation in baseball without without Cindergarden. Like, I, I feel like if we still had Zach Wheeler, then, then we'd still be in that argument. But uh, of course, we let him go. Uh, so without Syndergaard, I don't think we're one of the best in baseball. I do think, you know, it's still borderline top 10, especially if we get, you know, Porcello and Waka from a couple of years ago instead of the ones from, from last year. Uh, but the bullpen, especially with guys like Familia, Diaz, and Batances, if we get those guys at their best, we have hands down the best bullpen in baseball. So, sorry, sorry, Danny, with the Yankees. But when you have those three, yeah, it is. Uh, but when, when if, if those three are at their best, they, then the Mets might have arguably the three best relievers in baseball in their bullpen. Uh, but it's, it's not a guarantee. Diaz was horrific last year. He allowed more home runs in the ninth inning than any closer in the history of baseball. 
Jaris Familia had an ERA over five and couldn't find the strike zone at all. And Batances is coming off a huge injury and his velocity still isn't back. He was sitting 92, 93, which is, you know, four miles an hour behind where he was in 2017 before his injury or 2018 before his injury. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of question marks. I, I feel okay enough about the bullpen that I don't think it's going to be one of the worst in baseball, especially when we have guys like Seth Lugo, who's probably the best swing man in baseball. And we have uh, Justin Wilson, who was phenomenal last year uh, after he came back from injury. I feel like we have enough pieces that it's not going to be horrific like it was last year. But uh, yeah, I definitely have questions about whether or not it's going to be good enough, especially in a 60-game season, that it's not going to cost us cost us games like we just saw with the Yankees a couple uh, a couple times with uh, Tyler Batchelor allowing like mm. six runs in the ninth inning in one of them, and Daniels and Mora allowing like four more the next day. So it's it's a big question. I know Bob, the Phillies have a similar questions because you know, they got Hector Neris back there, who's pretty good, but he's he was dealing with like some COVID issues, so we don't know if he's going to be you know, ready and on his top of his game at the beginning. And then, like, after that, it's it's a little bumpy. Yeah, he threw a, a simulated game today for the Phillies, actually, earlier this afternoon. Joe Girardi talked to reporters uh, middle of the day here on Monday. And he expects Naris to be ready to go. Uh, and he, to me, though, is a question mark in and of himself. And when you look at the Phillies bullpen from a more macro perspective, it is just – question mark after question mark after question mark and for me that's the one thing I can't get over and I mean if you want to take the optimistic viewpoint of things and say well listen there's so much volatility year to year in bullpen performance that perhaps the Phillies have assembled enough young intriguing talent which they do have some young intriguing talent and then looking for a bounce back year from certain veterans maybe there's enough there to kind of piece it together and it be effective enough but when you pair that with really a lack of rotational depth I think that that becomes a big concern I just don't know beyond Wheeler and Nola and, and even Zach Wheeler in a normal season, 162 season, you miss two or three starts because you have a baby uh, that's born and, and he's expecting his firstborn child, uh, I think right at the start of the season, pretty much the, the second night of the season, I think it's the due date when he's expected to pitch. He, he could potentially miss two, three starts that could equate to roughly half of it, or, you know, a quarter of his starts for the 2020 season right there. So you take him out of the mix for a couple of weeks. That's a question. And then you look at the, the middle of the rotation. Jake Arrieta is never going to revert to his 2015, 2016 form that that day has come and gone. You know, can he be a guy that gives you six functional innings? You better hope so, because after that, it's a total crapshoot. You know, we've been waiting for three years now for Vince Velasquez to reach his ceiling to hit the potential and and he's just been at times really good and at times he's been abysmal and you just don't know if you're going to get four innings out of him on an, any given night and behind him there's just a ton of question marks the Phillies do have one intriguing pitching prospect named Spencer Howard uh, who by far is their their top pitching prospect right now he will not start the season with the team because of service time manipulation uh, when he does come up, it's just a matter of is there a, a natural opening for him to slide into the rotation maybe two, three weeks in, or do they use him out of the bullpen for this condensed season? But to be honest with you, there's just not a ton of reinforcements coming on that in that regard. And, and when I look at it and I look at really the, the team that I just – I guess I can't get over – is the Braves. Now, I know that they have a ton of issues themselves right now. Cole Hamels is out. They tried to sign Nassiel Puig. That's not going to work out. Nick Markakis opted out. Freddie Freeman's a little bit behind because of the COVID situation that, that he endured, talking about how he almost, you know, thought he was going to die. Um, you know, so Atlanta has a ton of question marks, too. But when I just look at the Braves, they were the best team in the NL East last year. 
the Nationals were the one that got hot. It's been a couple years now where they've had a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouths. I look at the talent. They have to be hungry. Like, I just don't – I don't see any of these teams beating the Braves so long as some of their question marks kind of shored up here in the early going. I actually have a ton of questions about the Braves uh, because, you know, they, they, they lost Josh Donaldson. Uh, Travis Darno, uh, former Met uh, and Tampa Bay Ray, he's, he's going to be their starting catcher. And uh, as a Mets fan, I can tell you all about his injuries and offensive concerns. Uh, he was, they, and he was, he was great last year, but again, yeah, I, I agree with right, you. I don't right know. I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if that's like sustainable, like for, you know, I mean, I guess it's a shortened season, so maybe he can get hot again, but the, I'd I say know. he's a question mark to me as well. For the Braves, I don't, I don't know who's starting out in right field because, you know, we have Acuna in center, but we, there's no more Marquecas. I don't know who's going to start out in left field. Is it going to be Austin Riley? Is it going to be Johan Camargo? Do both of them have to play third base in left field? Because, you know, they, they, they look really good at stretches in 2018 and 2019. And then for, for the most part, it was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, so, like, they definitely have the talent. Like, if Freddie Freeman's at his best, then he is maybe the best first baseman in baseball. Uh, Acuna is probably one of the top five players in baseball. Ozzy Albies, uh, he's very up and down, but you know there. We only see of- the ups with Ozzy Albies when 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 Ozzy <laughs> Albies playing the Phillies, we have the ups. So I think he's hit 800 against the Phillies the last two years. <laughs> so you know, you know, we we got we have to deal with that with Freddie Freeman, who's hitting like 400 against us in his career. But uh, so- there's a lot a lot of Mets killers out there. Like yeah. there's a lot of Mets killers. <laughs> Uh, and uh, not not Bryce Harper though. We 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 own Bryce Harper. We're, we're the one team in the NL East who he doesn't hit. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so with the, with their starting rotation, it's a lot of young question marks. Uh, Soroka was really good last year, but he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. So will teams be able to catch up to him now? Uh, with Mike Fultonevich again, it's been ups and downs. They lost Julio Tehran, who's now with the Angels. So that that rock in their rotation, even though he's kind of a uh, struggled the last couple of years he's gone and then you know bullpen volatility is always a huge thing with the Braves have gotten a ton of great production from really young pitchers coming out of their bullpen and that just eventually that's that's gonna stop happening eventually top prospects are going to start falling off in the bullpen like it's it so you know I, I do think if the Braves get their best case scenario for what seems like it's gonna be a third straight year then they would then they're very clearly the best team in the National League like hands down uh well not the national the national league East, yeah the best team but it, it I, I have questions about whether or not they can do that again i think we're we're kind of we're talking a lot about pitching which i think obviously is valid but we're touching on a few guys here which i think this year maybe more than any because of the shortened season you'll see a guy like a bryce harper put the phillies on his back and just I think one guy in the middle of your lineup can almost carry you to the playoffs. Maybe, maybe not winning a division necessarily, but I think there are a few guys like Bryce Harper with the Phillies. You know, you have Pete Alonzo with the Mets, Judge with the Yankees. Uh, you know, we talked Acuna with the Braves. I think it's like whoever is going to get hot for their team and really put their team on their back, I think that's going to play a big part. Because I think so far – at least from, you know, just the kind of exhibitions, the inner squads, it looks like the hitters are a little bit ahead of the pitchers so far, um, at least over the weekend. That's, that's what it looked like to me. What's that, Kyle? So speak for yourself. Did you not watch the Mets offense? Well, I guess, I guess I'm, looking, I'm looking from the Yankees' perspective. But even so, like, like Garrett Cole, he got taken deep a few times in his inner squad starts. Like, I think it, we might yeah, see the, the hitters. Yeah, the Phillies roughed up. 
the Phillies roughed up Max Scherzer on Saturday night mm-hmm. to seven runs, you know, and, and a handful of innings. So I, I agree with that. I mean, from what I've seen just with my own eyes and the Phillies, just looking at them for the, the past two weeks, the hitting has been ahead of the pitching. I, yeah. Watching, watching the Mets, I think it's pretty much been a case-by-case basis. Obviously, like, guys – Michael Waka was uh, absolutely phenomenal. He threw six and a third no-hit innings in a, in a simulated game for the Mets mm-hmm. the other day. The, the, only, the only base runner was a Dom Smith uh, error at first base in, in the first inning. Uh, so, like, I, I don't know if I should be worried about our hitting right now because yeah, I think the Mets exactly. have the talent to be one of the best offenses in baseball with because they have a pretty deep lineup. Or if I should just be looking at the pitching and saying, wow, we have Jacob DeGrom, who is obviously the best pitcher in the National League right now. Uh, we have uh, Michael Waka, who was an all-star at his best. Rick Porcello was a Cy Young winner once upon a time. Marcus Stroman is an, uh, has he was, that all-star stuff. He was, he was like top three or four, I think, in Cy Young a few years ago. Uh, like, 2017, maybe. I think he was, he was like top five or so. So he's, the, he's got that potential. Like watching the Mets, you know, I've seen Joanna Cespedes put on a show in in spring training. The other, the other offensive uh, players, though, it's kind it's kind of been been a struggle a little bit to to see any of them get going. Danny, I have a question for you. When you mm-hmm. look at it, uh, you know, as a Yankees fan or or however you want to term it, do you look at the season and say it's it's a championship or bust type of of setup for them? And I know that Yankees fans uh, have the luxury of kind of. Looking at things like that, uh, I know over the years, uh, history has been pretty kind to you guys. Um, Certainly as a Phillies, former Phillies fan, and now somebody that covers the team, uh, I don't think that the uh, expectations ever really World Series or bust. But do you feel like that this is a season where it does shape up and and the way that the the talent falls and the way everything has kind of come together here that they don't win the World Series, it's a disappointment? Or do you think that – and, Kyle, you can jump in on this too. Do you think that the nature of the season and just the fact that they're playing and and – can they just get it off the ground and have something that resembles a, a normal baseball season once things do finally begin? Like, that's enough, and we should all just be okay and happy that it happened. I think for sure every year is almost like – I mean, m- not me personally. Like, they made the AL, ALCS last year, you know, took took the Astros, like, pretty much to the brink. Um, to me, that's like, okay, that was a good year. Obviously not the ultimate goal. Um so to in every year, the Yankees, there's some sort of expectation to that um, kind of like championship or bust. This year, I think definitely will be less just because 60-game season, I think people can kind of, uh, you know, forgive the Yankees if if they don't, you know, if they get out to a slow start, you know, kind of thing. I think, I mean, there's, there's always going to be that expectation, but I think the 60-game season, it'll be a little bit less. Um, but again, like, I mean, I grew up, I was a kid when they, you know, 96 97 98 I was really young for that but like I remember growing up like that's the initial Yankees that I watched when they were you know in their dynasty mode so uh, like we were spoiled as you know my generation at least we were spoiled not much happened in the 2000s till 2009 you know they they win the world series there and then in the 2010s nothing so I think like over time those expectations of like world series of bust have lessened a little bit like with each year that it doesn't happen um but every year new york yankee fans are going to be you know oh fire aaron boone if you know if they don't win the world series and i mean joe girardi makes the alcs takes the astros you know to game seven and then he's he's canned so they're still at least from the ownership level it's maybe not you know george steinbrenner of the uh the 70s and 80s are, you know, going ballistic. But, uh, 
there's I mean, there's still that that championship or bust expectation always with the pinstripes. I, th- I think from a Mets perspective that they're in a very uh, a very interesting kind of dynamic here because I, for, I first of all I think the Mets fans expect the playoffs this year. They watched the team finish last season, the, those last 60 games, and they feel that that team should have been in the playoffs. And maybe they're right, if not for the Brewers winning something like 20 of their last 23 games or something absurd like that. Uh, and watching the Mets, uh, you know, come, come out this this off season, and they didn't really add all that much, but they still have most of their core, and that core is starting to diminish. Marcus Stroman leaves at the end of this season. Yoenis Cespedes leaves at the end of this season. So, uh, Syndergaard and Mats are at the end of 2021. So the, the core is kind of falling apart. So Mets fans are like, it's 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 now or never for for this uh, for this core, and then. Uh, from a perspective of like the management and ownership here, we have Brody Van Wagenen sitting here with maybe his job on the line because the Wilpons are selling this franchise. Like that, that's happening. Mets fans uh, have been talking about this for a long time. They, they don't know whether or not it's really going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. The Wilpons are going to sell. They simply don't have the money to run the franchise anymore. Debt has started to pile up on them and they have to sell. So with guys like Steve Cohen and Harrison Blitzer and to a lesser extent, Alex Rodriguez looking at potentially buying the team. You know, Bernie Van Wagenen is sitting there kind of on, on his back foot going, if I don't show something, I could lose my job when new ownership comes in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic here in, 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 with, with uh, Mets fans and ownership where it's, it feels like even though it shouldn't be, especially in probably the toughest division in baseball, the National League East, that it, it seems to be playoffs or bust. It's funny here in Philadelphia. I mean, this is such a tough market and fans here are just as tough as New York fans typically are as well. And there to me doesn't seem to be the same sense of urgency that there usually would be coming to a Philly season. First of all, I think people are just relieved here that they no longer have to deal with Gabe Kapler. Uh, so just the, the, the breath of fresh air that Joe Girardi is. And I know that there are some Yankees fans that were probably ready to move on from Joe, but just the sense of professionalism, changing the dynamics in the clubhouse I like Gabe Kapler. I thought he was a really nice guy. I actually developed a little bit of a relationship with him. He was always very helpful to me. And and from a personal level, I was sad to see him go. Uh, I felt that the Phillies had a ton of different issues and that he really sort of took the blame for a lot of different shortcomings throughout the organization. But that being said, I think that fans here are just ready to turn the page and they're excited, but it still feels like that the Phillies – at least to this fan base, are on their way up. Like, they haven't quite arrived yet. And that's that's interesting to say because when they went out and they traded for JT Realmuto, who could be a free agent at the end of 60 games, and they went out and they made the big splash with Bryce Harper, and they went out and they signed Zach Wheeler, you would think that there would be more urgency from this fan base for this team to win right now. And yet, I, I don't get that sense. And I don't know if that's because of the competitive nature of this division. I don't know if it's because of the shortened season and people are just sort of happy to see something you know some type of, of season come back I, I don't know what it is but it's it's been kind of just interesting to really not see that like that expectation and, and this team that was not as good the previous two seasons I thought had higher expectations than they do entering this one and the reason why I really brought the question up and I kind of wanted to get the pulse from you two is that I don't know even really as an observer of baseball or somebody that covers it how to evaluate this season. Like, is it fair if the Phillies go out and the back end of their rotation is no good or their bullpen falters? Matt Klentak, the GM here, didn't upgrade. He didn't really address the bullpen. 
do we as fans, do we as media members, do we criticize the front offices when things go wrong? I mean, you know, if a team loses and we're having this conversation about the depth of these teams and what they look like and how we think it's all going to stack up. I mean, at any given time, the three, four, five hitter or the closer and the setup man, or maybe all of them could go off the radar all at once with COVID-19 just kind of lingering and looming over this entire season. So to me, just the absurdity of the season, the, the fact that it's a 60 game sprint, the fact that the coronavirus is still very much going to play a part in how this thing plays out, even though it really hasn't over the past couple of weeks. To me, I think it's almost virtually impossible to really with any definition criticize I would say players and frankly general managers and anybody that knows me and I know that people that are listening to this don't know me but I'm about as critical and and difficult as it gets when it comes to taking these guys to task but I even wonder if a shortstop goes out and he goes 0 for 4 he's worried about the cough that he has did he if, if he's contracted coronavirus like can I kill a guy if he goes through a two-week slump because he's worried about getting sick or he was standing too close to somebody in an airport that coughed on him. Like it is just to me, just such a unique set of circumstances that I really have a hard time worrying and fretting about who's going to be great and who's going to struggle and how it's all going to shake out. Yeah. I think kind of one thing, just jumping off to your point, I think the majority of every team's fans will put an asterisk on this season unless their team wins. So it's almost like people are gearing up for that. Like yeah. Yankees fans, if you know, if the Yankees get knocked out in the ALDS by, you know, the Twins or, so, you know, something like that. Oh, you know, I know for a fact, because I'm, I'm a Yankee fan and I know how bad so many Yankee fans are. But people are just going to be like, oh, it's not a real season anyway. It doesn't count. Like, blah, blah. like that's coming from, you know, I, I know the Yankees just personally, but I would say most fan bases will, you know, if they lose this year, they're not going to they're not going to turn it into like, well, our team sucks. You know, this guy sucks. That guy. I think it's going to be more like, well, this wasn't a real season. This was just an asterisk anyway. So you can't really even, you know, think about it too much. Ironically, I, I think that teams have to overcome more to win a championship mm -hmm. this year, you know? And, and I agree to your point that if a team wins, it, fans are going to say, hell yeah, that's a real championship. And they mm -hmm. should, you know, I just think that if you do come up short, it is easier to explain it away, write it off. Mm -hmm. But I mean, whoever wins this thing will have earned it. And that's for damn sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I said, I kind of have been saying the same thing with the NBA. It's like, these are such unprecedented circumstances no team has ever had to go through any of this whoever wins it yeah maybe like a lot of people are going to put asterisks on it and you know we can argue about the validity of that you know argument of kind of putting that asterisk but at the same time that asterisk you can almost wear it like a badge of courage and say you know like no one else ever had to you know take you know uh, a four-month delay and you know before opening day and then come and just do the 60 game sprint like you can take that and say it you can argue that it's even more impressive. Uh, but again, that's just, that's, it depends on the, the person you're asking, the fan base, I guess, you know, all the, all those things come into account. I, I think uh, personally for, for like Mets fans and everything that this, there, there's two, there's two parts to this one. Uh, the Mets fans uh, all, all at home are sitting there going, we're never healthy anyway. So of course this would be the one season we're healthy. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting because if for for any team it's it's really probably going to be the team that gets the luckiest this year the team that gets the, the luckiest with health is probably going to be the one that wins not the best team not 
uh, the, the team with the most depth, just simply the team that avoids coronavirus and injuries the most. And I feel like that's another aspect that, that fans are tending to ignore right now. There's like baseball's back, COVID's a thing, and they kind of are leaving injuries on the back burner until, you know, the first game of, of the season, you're going to see someone get deemed and there's a broken rib and that player's done for two, for like six weeks. And in a normal season, maybe that's like, okay, that sucks, but you know, he'll be back. Gonna, the, yeah. You can overcome that. This time, you know, the player gets a broken rib. That's almost the whole season. Like he's done. It's, it's, it's over. And then the other part of it is Mets fans are so critical of ownership and management right now, especially Brody Van Wagenen, that, that if they don't, perform to a high level they're they're going to be calling for for his head like it's it they, they don't they don't like him and it all stems from the jared kelenic trade which has kind <laughs> yeah. of become uh infamous at this point just trading for edwin diaz and robinson cano and giving up a prospect who is now arguably one of the top 10 in baseball and might be in the starting lineup for the mariners at some point this year so you know it, it hurts and and fans look at that and say, you screwed up. Just plain and simple, you screwed up that one thing, and that's enough for us to hate you forever unless you win for us. And, and with, 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 new, with new ownership coming in, you know, they're like, this is the time. We, can, we have a fresh start if we want it. I was going to say, there's th- I think there's three years left on that Cano contract, right? Like that get, After yeah. this one. Yeah, take, yeah, yeah. After the 60 game, he's got three, which taking on that, you know, that contract was a part of – why you know you got Edwin Diaz, but still, yeah, that one is not looking good right now. Well, I think the whole idea behind that for uh, Brody Van Wagenen was that the DH was coming. Like everyone mm-hmm. knew it, and the Mets were kind of building around it. And they they looked at it and they said, okay, we can play Robinson Cano at two more for two more years while he's still at his physical peak. And we saw last year he wasn't really that guy. Uh, but they're gonna try it again this year, uh, and then next year when Yolanda Cespedes is gone. Uh, it, I really think they're going to try and make Robinson Cano play DH. I know he doesn't want to. I know he wants to play second base because he wants all the records there. He wants the home run record. He wants the games played record. Like, he wants to be the greatest second baseman to ever play baseball. And, you know, he has every right to try that. But from a Mets perspective, just strictly baseball, he's not the defender he used to be. He's not the hitter he used to be. Just getting – there, there's questions about whether or not he should be in the lineup at all. Because the Mets, Mets fans would almost certainly prefer to, to stick Jeff McNeil over at second base, J.D. Davis play third, and get a much better defensive center fielder like Jake Marisnik out there and put together a more well-rounded team. But the, the, the Mets don't really want that. They, they put all these chips in on Robinson Cano, and they feel like they have to use it. And it's, 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 it's probably going to be an albatross of a contract for another four years. We'll see if we get that kind of production that we really need from him this year. Because with the new DH and how deep everything is and potentially missing like Wilson Ramos or other players due to COVID, you know, whatever ends up happening, we need Cano to play a strong uh, uh, offensive game. And we need him to be good enough defensively that he can, that he's not dragging the team down, especially considering we have so many uh, pitchers reliant on ground balls like Stroman, Porcello, and Waka. These aren't strikeout guys. These are guys who want the ball in play and turn double plays. And if we don't have good defense from Cano and Rosario, that's not going to happen. And, you know, so fans are looking at Brody Van Wagenen and saying, if we don't win, it's your fault because you traded Jared Kalanick and didn't use your resources properly. So 
I think, I think they're definitely going to be critical, even though it is a shorter season. That's interesting that I think the Mets might, I mean, who knows where you quantify the Yankees in terms of expectations, but it sounds like the Mets might actually have like the biggest, uh, like the most to play for, I guess, if you're, you're saying that, like at least in terms of Van Wagen and, and, and I, I would include Rojas in that too. Cause if the Mets are, you know, if they struggle this year, they fall out of it early and they, you know, they never really push for a playoff spot. I mean, I don't think they're going to be, you know, too kind to Luis Rojas. He was kind of just like randomly, just swept up in the the Carlos Beltran stuff, which that Carlos Beltran stuff feels like it happened like three years ago at this point. Uh, so with Rojas, he wasn't just randomly thrown in. He was one of the well, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, the original, I'm, I'm underselling him a little bit, but he was one of the original management options. Uh, he was a minor league manager for close to a decade. He uh, was a huge part of the organization. He was the. Uh, 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 I forget what title he had. He was he was a coach on the, on the team last year, though. Uh, and he was actually Robinson Cano's pick for manager way back in November. He went to the front office and vouched for him. So it's not like he, he came out of nowhere, but he, he, he definitely he didn't make the final round in the first in the first check. So he, he the, the Mets had very big concerns about his age. I believe he's he's either the youngest or the second youngest manager in baseball. I think there's like a week separating him and Rocco Baldelli, uh, of, who's a manager of the Twins. So uh, I, I, I don't think Mets fans really have this, these huge expectations for Rojas. They know, you know, he doesn't have the best roster. You know, he, he's not going to uh, have the greatest uh, chances this year. If, if things happen, it's not going to be on him. It's going to be on Van Wagenen. Uh, but I think from, from a management perspective, uh, Rojas had a, gets a very small contract that only has two guaranteed years with an option for a third year which is, you know, very strange. Most managers are getting three-plus years. I think Joe Girardi got, like, a three- or four-year contract from the Phillies. Uh, so the, the Mets aren't sold on him. So if he doesn't perform well this year, it wouldn't surprise me to see them move on from him very quickly. Uh, but I, I don't think Mets fans have huge expectations, like, one way or the other for Rojas, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I mean – I'm kind of looking at it with the changeover, you know, Van Wagenen's gone, maybe the new guy will want to bring somebody in. But yeah, I, I agree with your points. Like Rojas is kind of thrown into a tough situation. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think if the Mets are bad, I don't think it's necessarily his fault, but I think he could become a casualty. Um, but I guess now kind of trying to wrap things up a little bit here, I guess we'll go around uh, and give our predictions for the AL East and NL East. I guess I'll start it off. No surprise. Like I'm taking the Yankees uh, because there's too much talent. You know, I mean, like I said, the Rays are kind of scary to me. The Red Sox, not what, not way out of the mix, but, you know, definitely taking a step back. Um, but I, I just can't see the Yankees losing even in the shortened season. And then I actually, I really did want to, like Mets and Phillies to me are two teams that are very intriguing and kind of for the reasons you guys explained, if you squint, you know, hard enough and if, you know, everything goes right. And if this question mark turns out, okay. And this guy and the bullpen, like there's a lot of things that could go right. And I could see the Phillies and Mets definitely going out and winning the division in a, in a short sprint, but kind of to my point of, you know, that one guy in the lineup who can carry you, I think the, the, uh, the Braves had that in Acuna, and then, to a certain extent, Freeman. And then I just think the Braves overall are just more well-rounded, so I can't, I can't pick against them. I really – I toyed with the idea of going with the Phils or the Mets 
because uh, I think it would be good, um, especially the Mets. You know, Mets and Yankees both making the playoffs is is like the best thing for the city uh, in terms of you know baseball fans. But I I just I can't see myself picking against the Braves. Yeah, I'll go from there. Uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm with you on the Yankees. I think that they are the class of the AL East. I do think that the Rays will make the postseason as well, though. Mm -hmm. I'm very high on the Rays. I just think that uh, ultimately the Yankees are, you know, a step ahead of them. When it comes to the NL East, I'm going to take the Braves. Uh, but I will tell you, if I were a sports better, and uh, I know that, that we're all working in this realm now, suddenly mm -hmm. uh, there is a little bit of value both on the Mets and Phillies, um, just, you know, as a little bit of a, a wild card option. I believe that the Mets actually are going to make the playoffs. I think that the Phillies are going to miss it. It's not because I'm so down on the Phillies, but I just think that for all the reasons that we've talked about in the show that the Mets are a step ahead of them right now, I, I believe a second team is going to come out of the NL East and be one of the wild card teams, despite the difficulty of the schedule. And I do not believe that it's going to be the Washington Nationals. Not only are we going to look at the loss of Anthony Rendon, and, and that's the obvious one. But I just don't know that that team in particular is going to be ultra motivated after having just won a World Series in a pandemic-shortened season to come back and be able to pull off that type of run again. I also have concerns about the usage of both Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg of a year ago. Not that I expect these guys to fall off a ledge right away, but I just don't know that they're going to each replicate the types of seasons that they had back in 2019. And so I'm out on Washington completely. So if I had to take a wild card team out of the NL East right now, it would be the Mets. I do think the Phillies are going to be in the mix though, as things get to the, the second half of September. Yeah. Just, so I'm going to take, I was just going to throw one point in on the nationals. I think kind of, we didn't talk about it much, but I agree with you. Like they did that 60 game sprint last year, which was, you know, incredibly impressive. Like that second half they had was, was wild. Um, and that like, like, we have said, you know, they just got hot at the right time. But I don't know. It's it's hard to do that two years in a row, even with, you know, having the layoff because of COVID and everything. I just – I don't see them doing that. And maybe maybe we get proved wrong and they do go on another crazy run. But I, I would agree. I think, I think the Braves are the class of the East with the Phillies and the Mets as the two contenders to me right now. I'm going to take the cop-out answer because this, this is a 60-game season and I think you're going to see a bunch of very close teams. I think you're going to see – uh, a lot of ties this year. I, I think you're gonna, you're probably gonna see two teams at the top of the NL East, and I'm gonna take the Braves and the Mets with 33 wins. I think you're gonna look at them, and they're going, to, they're they're gonna be they're gonna be tied, and then whoever comes in second is gonna have 32 wins, and you're gonna end up with like three teams with 32 wins battling out for like the second wild card, and you're gonna have so like I it would not shock me to see like the the Mets and Braves tied at the top of. Uh, the NL, the NL East, and then like the Cardinals and the Brewers tie at the top of the NL Central, and then the uh, the, the Dodgers are almost certain to, to just win mm. the NL West. But like, you're, you, it wouldn't surprise me to see all these ties, and then you're going to see teams missing out on the playoffs by like one game, and you're going to end up with just so many tiebreaker games. Like, you, the thing that I fear the most right now is like the Mets, Braves and then one other team all having 33 wins and creating some sort of hectic three-game scenario, three-team scenario where the losers end up fighting, fighting each other for one wild card spot, and you're going to end up with basically like a knockout round tournament uh, style uh, thing to, to, to get into the playoff, which is why I was really for Major League Baseball's expanded playoffs this year, 
just because there's there's so few games that it's going to be so hectic at the top. Uh, so I, I I'm I'm really concerned uh, with 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 that. But if if you want a straight answer, uh, I I'm going to take uh, the Braves to win to win the National League East just because, despite all the concerns I have for them, I just think the talent at the top with Acuna and Freeman and Albies is just going to be too much to to fail over a 60 game uh, stretch. And then I'll take the Mets to make a wild card spot just because I think the offense is too good and uh, the starting rotation is going to be good enough. Are, are we all copping out and going Yankees-Dodgers World Series? No. I, I have Yankees in the World Series. I actually – I took a future bet on them. Uh, part, part, I mean, that's biased bet. But, um, but I, I do think the Yankees are the best team in the, in the AL. But I'm, I'm not completely sold on the Dodgers doing it again. I think we're – I mean, I think they'll probably win the NL West. But the Padres, to me, are a team that's kind of scary out there. They've got some good young talent. Machado is – you know, I think we forget about him because last year the Padres weren't really much. Uh, I think there's, there's better talent out West than we're giving them credit for. I don't know. I, I doubt they're going to knock them off in the uh, – the regular season, but once they get to the playoffs, I mean, you know, you never know. Um, most likely, I think Dodgers Yankees probably what we're going to see, but I, I wouldn't exactly throw all my chips into the Dodgers yet. I am going to make a shocking pick. Uh, I do have the Dodgers coming out of coming out of the National League for what I think would be a third straight year, right? Or it's no. So, well, no, because uh, third time in two in, two, in whatever, or four, two times in three. four and five, I think, because uh, four and five because the Nationals were there last. The Nationals, year. yeah. But in the, in the American League, I'm going to take uh, a sh- the shocking Chicago White Sox, who had oh, an absolutely okay. phenomenal offseason and probably some of the best young talent in baseball with guys like uh, Giolito and Moncada and Robert and Jimenez. I just think there's too much talent there, with especially with the veteran additions like Yasmani Grandal and keeping Jose Dario Abreu around. I just think it's too much for them to not – compete in the national in the American League Central where I think they will win just because I don't trust the Twins pitching uh and once they get to the playoffs you know when you have young talent like that which and that can be electric you never know what can happen and I think that they can have that that spike in in an offensive production that nobody in baseball will, will be able to, to touch them and I think their bullpen is good enough to to to, uh, to ride it to ride out so I, I'm actually going to take the White Sox and the Dodgers uh, in what I'm sure shocks everybody. I was going to say, that's the take of the episode right there. White Sox to make the World Series. Yeah, well, I mean, I was in, I, I, I lived in Chicago for a couple of years. I got to meet, meet up with some White Sox and Cubs fans. I, I know how much they, they love that team. And I, I just I, – I, I've seen too much from the White Sox to, to say that they're, they're not going to improve enough, especially in a 60-game sprint where, where anything can happen. Like it, 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 they just feel like that team that could shock the world this year, kind of like the uh, kind of like the Rockies in two thousand seven when, when they went to the World Series. I was gonna say there's gonna be there's got like there's bound to be one or two or you know even more teams like that that do like I'm bringing up the Padres, but you know a team that kind of I mean there there are a few teams Padres White Sox uh, a lot of people are on the Reds too that's Red, yeah Reds, uh, Reds are the there's there's a few teams out there that are kind of like trendy picks but you got to figure at least one of those teams is going to, you know, going to cash in and, you know, uh, live up to expectations. 
Um, but I guess any, uh, any closing thoughts from you guys before, uh, before we head out? Actually, Kyle, I don't think you said AL East what year. I, I either want to hear you say the Yankees or I want to make you pick the Rays. So. Oh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick the Rays. I think the Yankees make the playoffs. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be the, the first wild card team. Uh, I don't know how they'll do. Probably against uh, the the Athletics or the or the, uh, or the Twins uh, in that in that wild card game because anything could happen. But with Cole there, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be fine. Uh, but I, I definitely think the Rays' understanding of situational baseball is going to be way way too huge of an advantage for for this season. All right, I wanted to get you on record with that because you, you sidestepped that part of the question before. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I wanted to make sure we got you on record with that. Um, yeah, because you, you, might, you might end up being right. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, unless uh, you guys have anything, anything to add, uh, I think that's, that's a wrap for uh, Small Ball Radio, whatever episode this is. I don't even remember. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.